0: It is the 28th of February. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Seamus Lyons and Alex Byrne. It was a week the markets did not see coming as Russian troops marched on the capital of Ukraine. Price of Oil, Russia is the world's number two producer, shot through $100 a barrel on fears of a supply shock. Reactions were swift and fairly brutal in the equity markets on Thursday, although most markets rallied on Friday. But the European markets took the brunt of the hit, didn't they, Alex?
1: Morning, Lorna. They did. You can see geographically, and economically why Europe would be the epicenter of any global sell-off in this situation. Mainly around 30-40% of Europe's oil and gas comes from Russia having a huge bargaining chip on their side and we've seen how long it's taken Germany to clarify their position on things like Nord Stream 2. For the rallying that you mentioned it doesn't have that raft of tech and growth names that the US and the likes have that created that huge swing in indices last year with the likelihood that that was the result of the expectation that several banks would have to tone down their rate rise rhetoric and that would positively affect those growth Names.
0: And have we amended our tactical view on Europe in the light of these events?
1: We have so taken Europe back to neutral. Europe, as I mentioned at the epicenter, either of the recovery or a continued sell-off. Other areas would therefore be more shielded from the potential downside, but keeping it in neutral means that we don't miss out on that potential slingshot of a rebound. Simply around the uncertainty of what will come, the potential backing down via peace talks, potentially Putin has gone too far. The entire structure could come down around him, but they could also take Ukraine, install a public regime and usher in a new era of cold war. So we simply don't know at the moment. For now, it seems sensible to take us back neutral given what already seems to have been taken into account in the price.
0: Yes indeed and Seamus any further tactical adjustments worth highlighting?
2: Good morning Lorna. No that's probably the main one our base case for the conflict is that it's probably likely to be short-lived given the military mismatch between Russia and Ukraine. I mean, you know, we don't expect NATO to intervene in military capacity either, and that sanctions are going to be the primary method of response. And whilst these would have an economic impact to the Western nations, you know, they're manageable and they shouldn't alter the global macroeconomic landscape dramatically. So on the back of that, we didn't reduce risk too much. And, you know, markets are already corrected by a significant margin as well. So we did not change things. Maybe one area we did get more defensive on was emerging markets debt. So obviously Ukraine and Russia are part of the emerging market debt universe, but we feel there could be a bit more contagion to other markets or countries in that area. One area where we do see some left tail risk increasing and so we've reduced that as a result.
0: But on the positive side, gold and government bond markets showed their safe haven credentials.
2: Yeah, indeed. So for much of the week, you saw investors rush into these perceived safe havens. They drove US treasuries were higher, bonds went higher, you know, across most of the world. The US dollar rose, gold as you mentioned mentioned. mentioned and then you saw things like the Russian ruble and other emerging market currencies they really collapsed but actually from late Thursday onwards that story began to reverse you saw stocks actually they rallied sharply and then yields began to increase in fact on Thursday the Nasdaq it swung by almost 7% on the day so started off very negatively finished off I think about three and a half percent higher this is the largest intraday swing you've seen since the pandemic in March 2020 so you know it was a very volatile week for a lot of asset classes state haven doing their thing earlier in the week but risk assets were bounding by week end.
0: And the biggest driver of markets year to date, though, has been the central banks, mainly the US Fed, and their forecasts of a likely succession of interest rate hikes throughout the year. Is this event likely to change the dot plot pattern?
2: Yes, well, this is a key question. It's a key question on all investors' minds. But it's not a straightforward one to answer either. So obviously, we're going to have higher inflation as a result of this conflict. Russia is a major exporter of oil and gas, but it's also a major exporter of a lot of commodities like aluminium, titanium, nickel and palladium and that goes into cars as well. Ukraine as well is a big exporter of wheat and some other food ingredients. So we're definitely going to see a classic supply side energy shock to inflation at a time as well when inflation is already very high. But this is not good for the Fed and other central the banks in terms of what they were planning to do in terms of raising interest rates. But on the other side of this, you know, we're also seeing higher premiums now for risk assets. We're seeing a stronger U.S. dollar. Obviously, we're seeing falling equity valuations as a result as well. Growth is definitely going to be impacted by the higher inflation feeding through to consumer. So these, in turn, are helping the Fed achieve its goal of higher rates anyway. So these are tightening financial conditions, which are going to help lower inflation. So as a result, the Fed may not have to raise rates as much as they were previously expected to do so. But you know the market's wrangling over this. And this is one reason we saw a lot of volatility last week in the markets. It's a difficult one to call. Our view actually is that probably the Fed will not be deterred from its stop plot. It'll start raising rates as expected in March because it's a key mandate is to keep inflation low and maintain growth. And as long as the conflict remains somewhat localized in Ukraine, the Fed will stick to its course.
0: Yes, thanks for explaining that. And of course, any change to those expectations will be carefully tracked. But in the week ahead, though, shorter term, we'll be closely monitoring events in Ukraine. Of course, the news for on concerted sanctions on Russia, but on the macro front, we have February PMI data for the world's major economies. But Alex, will these survey data be recent enough to reflect the shocking events of last week?
1: So we have the flash that comes out roughly one week prior. That has around 90% of respondents. So this would suggest, no, we haven't had this taken into account and could, depending on how the situation develops, see a significant leg down within the next month. At the moment, the numbers remain pretty steady in the Western world versus what the flash numbers were a week ago. The one exception being in China, where there's a significant leg down in some of those PMI numbers.
0: Interesting. So these data could be slightly irrelevant in a way. But on Friday, we are back then to the non-farm payroll data from the US for February, there was a particularly strong number for January. What is the market expecting here, Seamus?
2: Indeed, yes. The figures for January for last month, they surprised massively to the upside, indicating a much stronger labour market than was previously assumed. So for February, the consensus is that actually we're going to see another 400,000 jobs that will be added. So another big number is expected. But maybe this time around as well, the focus will be in other parts within the report. So the average hourly earnings, so wage inflation, this has been running high in recent months. And given other drivers of inflation at the moment remain quite high. The tick up in the wage inflation could be viewed quite negatively by markets. But on the whole, the report's expected to be another strong one for the US labour market.
0: Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you Lorna. Thank you Lorna.